And thank you, June, for being here. Thank you. Appreciate thank you. Well, it's been a lot of fun to be with the women. I told the women at the conference that someone asked me the difference between men and women, and I answered it in one word, drama. Uh, you know, the story of Eden was quite boring until Eve showed up. You know, it was just God and Adam, and they did quite well until Eve showed up, and then the drama started. So we did have drama this weekend, but it was God's drama. He showed up, and it was a joy to be with the women, and I'm blessed to be here tonight. I'm from Georgia, and I stepped outside, and snow was on the ground. If we were in Georgia, this meeting would have been canceled tonight because when snow appears, we belly up. We can defeat demons and devils, but snow conquers us. So I was almost tempted to stay home, but I decided I'm in the Chicago area. I guess I can brave the snow. Praise God. Would you reach your hands out toward God? Let's just stir the Holy Spirit. Let's let faith arise. Let's don't sit in this building tonight and let the presence of God be here and that he would not touch us and that he would not minister to us. Now, Father, you see these men and women gathered before me. You know their stories. You know the beginnings. You know the endings. And you are here present to show, to reveal, to impart, to teach, to touch, to heal, to deliver. And we reach our hands of faith toward you we know that you have answers, that you have that which we need, and we stir the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that I am your messenger tonight, and that the words that come out of me will not be my own words, but they will be words given to me by God, that my thoughts will be the thoughts of God, and that I can be so sure in what I do and say that it would be, Lord, even as if you yourself stood here. Help me by the anointing of the Holy Spirit and by the abilities of God to do that. And let that come up out of me, which ministers to your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, he gathered his disciples together for one last meeting. They went to an upper room and they partook of the communion supper. And the Lord began to talk to them about this transition that was about to occur. Jesus himself would shortly be crucified. He would be dead. He would be buried. He would be resurrected on the third day. And in 40 days, he would ascend to heaven and he would no more be seen in the earth as he had been seen. So this meeting in this upper room was quite critical and crucial because he's preparing these 12 men for this transition, for this time when everything is going to shift dramatically. And he begins to talk to them about needful things. And he says to them, recorded in John 14, 15, and 16, that I'm going to have to go away and that things will not be as they have been. And it is not my purpose to discuss that whole entire message that the Lord gave to these disciples, but to say in that message, the Lord repeatedly spoke about joy. Now, this would seem strange to us that 
looking at the cross and the crucifixion, that Jesus would talk about joy. And, and we must know from his talking about joy that joy must be something pretty important. Joy must be beyond just an emotional feeling of happiness because what was going to happen was not going to be an emotional feeling of happiness. In fact, Jesus himself drew back from the cross in his flesh. He would shortly go to Gethsemane and pray that the Father could let this cup pass from him, and he yielded to the Father's will. So when Jesus spoke about joy, he was not talking about happiness, which is normally what people like us consider joy to be. But Jesus said some rather peculiar things. He said these things, meaning all that he had told them, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Recorded in John 15 and verse 11. And then he goes on to say, uh, your joy no man is going to be able to take from you. So he talked about my joy being your joy. And when your joy is established in my joy, there's no person who will ever be able to steal your joy. Now, when we think about the Lord's joy, we must go back to the Old Testament in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, which tells us that the joy of the Lord is not an emotion, it is strength. It is strength. So when Jesus spoke to these men about his joy, he was talking to them about being strong. And it was a strength that these men and we ourselves as God people we're going to desperately need. My joy is going to remain in you and your joy will be full and no one is going to be able to take that joy from you and that joy is strength. And we must identify what is the joy of the Lord. What does this mean just beyond a, a strength? And there's one scripture, it is found in Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to us Christians about our Christian life being this course that we're going to run. That life is not going to be random. Life will be a course. And we are going to run this course and we're going to run it with patience. And so the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, says this in verse 1, Wherefore, seeing that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, with endurance, the race that is set before us. This is the picture of a marathon run. 26.2 miles is a marathon, a long distance run. And in the marathon, it is not a hundred yard sprint. The marathon is not about being fast. The marathon is about having strength to finish. 
So we're talking about a strength to finish. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say to us in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author, the beginner, the one who, in which it all springs, and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind, lest you become discouraged. So when we see the joy of the Lord in Hebrews 12, it is likened to the setting of the cross, the most difficult moment of Jesus' life. And it's in this setting of a marathon race where there's a beginning and you want to finish. In the marathon, you don't necessarily win, you finish. It is considered an honor to finish the marathon. And so God is talking about beginnings and endings. And he said we must see Jesus who authored, who begins, and Jesus who ends. So he shows us that Jesus really is the one that initiates things in our lives. And Jesus is the one who will bring it all to a conclusion. He's the author, the finisher, the alpha, the first letter, the omega, the last letter. But it's likened to a course that has to be run, and we don't have much trouble with the beginnings, and we don't have much trouble with the end. But how many know the middle can give you a headache? The middle can absolutely cause you to throw your hands up and, and quit. I, I uh, had a, a, a talk one time with a marathon runner, and he told me at about 18 miles, you hit what's called the wall of pain. And he said at that wall of pain, you just really do want to quit. But you have to keep running. I spoke to another marathoner, and he said the most difficult part of the marathon is about the last hundred yards because you want to finish. So God is talking to us here in this about the, the endurance of Jesus on the cross. Now, we know that Jesus is God in the flesh, but Jesus divested himself of his divinity, and he came to earth and lived as a man. Now, he had been in heaven, and he gave up all that was his in heaven. He gave up the throne, all that was his. He came to earth and lived as a man, and he had a destiny, and his destiny was the cross. This was his course. He was going to live and he had to go to the cross. And at, after the cross, he had to ascend back to the right hand of the Father and sit down at that throne in heaven. And that sitting down at the right hand of the Father is a picture of Jesus finishing his course. And the Bible says that Jesus endured the cross. There was nothing more difficult than the cross. The cross is very painful. The cross is very slow death. 
Jesus endured the cross because there was a joy that was set before him. And the joy was not emotional. How many know Jesus didn't hang on the cross singing praise courses? This is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad. And he was not singing praise courses. But when the Bible talks about joy, it talks about this ability Jesus had to focus. And he was not focusing on the immediate problem, but he was focusing on one fact, that God was at work in the midst of the problem, and God was bringing out of the problem an answer of redemption so that he could look beyond the Friday night of the crucifixion and he could say, there is a Sunday that is coming. I may be in a bad place now, but I'm going to look ahead to Sunday. I believe Jesus hung on the cross, and by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, he was able to look beyond the pain, the suffering, and even see the throne of God where he would sit down in a very short, short period of time. So when the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength, it is this power that God gives to us, born only by the Holy Spirit, which enables us to endure the hard times, enables us to look beyond the immediate problem and to focus on the fact uh, of God's answer, which is coming out of the problem. Now, in our lives, the most difficult thing we have to do is to stay focused. Because when problems arise, when trouble comes, the trouble can be greater than, than our uh, vision of God. When, when doctors tell you you have cancer and in just a short time to live, that can become bigger than God to you. That can become more powerful than even God. And you have to look beyond the problem and look to the promise that God has given us. And to say that in the midst of this problem, God is at work, and God who has begun a good work is going to finish it. And the last word is not going to be a negative word. It's this ability to keep that focused. And the Bible says that joy was set before Jesus, and it enabled him to endure and then the Bible says you're to run your race with endurance and you're to stay focused, not on your problems, but you're to look beyond your problems to the answer which is coming. Now, my husband and I are neither one photographers. We're really bad photographers. And we always go on trips and we'll look at each other and say, do you remember the camera? Neither one of us ever remember the camera. And we're always having to buy throwaways or something. Have a real nice camera at home. We just don't remember the camera. When our grandchildren come to visit, we have six grandchildren. Neither one of us remember to take pictures. After they leave, uh, we'll say to each other, we should have taken pictures. And we forgot to take pictures. So one, one year at Christmas, I said to my husband, now I'm going to be in the kitchen cooking for the kids. And I'm going to be really busy. So I'm putting you in charge of the pictures. We're going to get pictures this year. And I said, now I'm putting the camera right here by your chair. His chair is a, his reclining chair. And everybody knows that's where granddaddy sits. 
So I said, now here's the camera. All I'm asking you to do is when the grandkids are in the room, take a picture. He said, okay, got it. I said, you know, you can take some with the Christmas tree and some over here on the sofa. He said, he saluted, got it. So he's in charge of the pictures. But you know what the man did? He never got up out of his reclining chair. He just sat in his reclining chair, and whoever and whatever walked in front of him, he just snapped it. So I had a bunch of pictures at the end with just the middles. I didn't have any heads. I didn't have, you know, any feet. I just had the middle of people walking in front of my husband uh, in, in his reclining chair. And I said, this is stupid. You don't even, you know, know how to focus on this thing. And the only way I knew who they were is I remembered their outfits. I said, well, this is Sophia. You can't see my pretty little Stella's face, but that was a cute little dress she had on. And so just whatever came in front of his chair, he would take a picture. And that's the way most of us focus. Just whatever comes in front of us, we just, that's just probably our focus. So that at any given point, we can become very discouraged. At any given point, we, we can want to throw our hands up. And at any given point, we lose sight of one important thing, that God is working his plan and his purpose. Now, I want us to consider a, a, a disciple of the Lord. We're going to learn something from this disciple of the Lord. His name is John. And John is actually uh, the last of the original 12 apostles to die. He is the one who lived to be an old man. Uh, the others, you know, passed away before him. So he's the last of the original 12 to live. He writes five books of our New Testament, and the most important book that I think he ever wrote is the one which is our last book of the Bible, and it has a rather peculiar name, the Revelation. The Revelation. And Revelation means something that God shows you that you, you cannot know. And John was actually shown events that have not yet happened in 2011. And when he was shown these events, he was on an island called Patmos. Patmos was about 10 miles long, 5 miles wide. And he was there as a prisoner. He was there because of his testimony. And he was, uh, we were told he worked in a rock quarry. He's a very elderly man. The year is 96 A.D., the church is 63 years old, and he is the sole remaining apostle. And so John the Revelator sits on this island. Now, we're not told this. This is my supposition. But I know he was a man, a human like we are. And I think John the Revelator sat on that island, and he sort of lost his joy. He lost his hope. And I think in the year 96 A.D., with the church being 63 years old, he had sort of lost the bells and the whistles of the beginning. You know what I mean by bells and whistles, you know, of the beginning? And, and that is a very emotional thing, because John was very close to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was there when Jesus did his mighty miracles. 
he was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had a very close relationship with the Lord. And he had heard the Lord say things like, I'm going to build a church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was there on the day of Pentecost when 120 were baptized in the Spirit and 3,000 people in the city of Jerusalem were born again. He was there for all of those great events. And now it's 63 years later and he sits on an island in Patmos and the church is being persecuted by Rome. And some of the most severe persecution is yet to come. Christians will be killed in horrible ways, and he himself is being persecuted. And I know John sat on that island and thought, I wonder if God's going to be able to pull this off. I know Jesus said that he would build a church. I know that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I know that Jesus said that he was going to come back the second time. I know what Jesus said, but I don't know if he's going to be able to pull it off. I think John had that in his mind. I'm the last one that's alive, and, and why is the plan not working? Where is the glorious church? Where are the promises of God? And it was in that situation that the Lord appeared to him and gave him the revelation. And this is our last book in the Bible. And I think the revelation becomes for us a focus. And I do not think it is a focus about the Antichrist, the coming one world government, uh, the false religious system, the failure of the economy, the uh, wars, the nuclear wars that are going to happen. All of this is revealed in the book of the Revelation. But the Revelation is not about that. The Revelation is God setting joy before us and showing us things not about the negativity, but about God himself. Because in our courses with God, we lose the bells and the whistles, the excitement of the beginning. And in any of our, our walks with God, we come to places where we wonder if God is going to be able to pull it off, if God is going to be able to keep his word, if God will do what he told us. And I on a day at the University of Alabama. And when I met him, we married in six months. I just fell in love with him, and he fell in love with me. And when he proposed to me, I was the happiest on camp ever. I was sitting in class, and I did his Evans. And I was going to get to sign Mrs. G. Evans. I'll get to write checks that say Mrs. Jean E. Evans. And then I would lay in bed at night and think, oh, he will never regret having me for such a wife. Uh, I am going to spend my life cooking him meals that will just, you know, blow his socks off better than his mama ever cooked. I will iron his shirts and fold his underwear and put his socks together. He is going to be so blessed to have me 
as a wife. And so we married. And we didn't have any money, so we went to our apartment at the campus of the University of Alabama, spent our first night, we get up the next morning. And we're, we're, this is our first day as a husband and wife. And so he says to me, uh, sweetheart, uh, this morning for breakfast, I would like to have two eggs over light. Now he and I courted for six months. You know, when you court, you show people what you want them to see. And there were a lot of things that hadn't been uncovered yet. And one of them was I couldn't even boil water, much less, you know, cook eggs over light. I did not know how to cook. I had no idea what two eggs over light looked like. I didn't know. All I knew is you crack the shells. That's all I knew about eggs over light. So I go into the kitchen, and 30 minutes later, he gets two burnt scrambled eggs. But he's in love. So he eats burnt scrambled eggs. Second day, he gets up. He says, uh, darling, I enjoyed the eggs yesterday, but today I want two eggs over light. He gets burnt scrambled eggs. Third day, June, uh, I'd like two eggs over light. And he gets burnt scrambled eggs. Now we're into the fourth day. And he said when he got up that morning, what do I have to do to get two eggs over light? I said, you have to cook them yourself. Why do you think I married you, Barnaby? You're cooking, you're slave. And all of a sudden, the bells quit ringing and the whistles didn't sound. And we had lost the excitement of the beginning. And you know what we had to do? We had to stay focused. This is how we've stayed married 51 years. We've stayed focused. That it's not about eggs. It's not about the shirts. We really do love each other. And we've had to keep that set before us. And in our Christian walk, we just have all kinds of things that come up. And Christianity becomes about that. And when that happens, we have lost our focus. And when that happens, we become a very discouraged people. So Jesus Christ appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos, and he put joy in front of him. Now, if you read the Revelation, you will find chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5 are, are pivotal chapters that show us things about God's church and God. And all of the other stuff, demons, hell, Revelation says bottomless pits will be opened and spirits will come out, that cities will be destroyed, a political ruler will come, and people will not be able to buy and sell. There's just all kind of stuff that's even now being set into place. But before that happens, John receives a joy that is set before him. And he has shown certain truths about God. And in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation, the, the, the Lord spoke to seven churches, and those churches represent the entire church in any generation. And in all of those seven letters, seven messages to seven churches, there is one thing that is repeated seven times. 
said identically in all of the messages. And, and here is an issue where we must lock into this if joy is going to be set before us. And what was said is we must hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. Uh, we overcome by hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying. Now, one thing that we have not taken advantage of as Christian people is the voice of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples that night in that upper room before he was crucified that the Holy Spirit was going to be sent to them. And he said, the Holy Spirit is going to pull up along beside you and he's going to be your helper. And he's going to speak to you things that I cannot yet show you. And he is going to show you the things to come. And the Holy Spirit came into the lives of those people on the day of Pentecost. And when he came, he came bearing gifts and gifts of wisdom, which is direction, gifts of knowledge, which is information. We have no way of getting any other way than God. Uh, just the discernings of spirits. The Holy Spirit has been sent to talk to us. And when we are in life, we fail to develop that voice of the Holy Spirit. We spend very little time uh, trying to uh, endeavor to communicate with the Holy Spirit. It was very clear to me when I was first baptized with the Holy Spirit, I was a 30-year-old woman. And I had come to the baptism with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues from a Methodist background. So I knew very, very little about Pentecost and tongues and all of those things. But the thing that struck me about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit would talk to us. And that his voice would not be audible, but that the Holy Spirit would come and the Holy Spirit would give, give us information about our lives. Information about what is going on. So that we don't become reactors, we live in revelation. Seven times in chapters 2 and 3, of Revelation, it says, let he that has an ear to hear, hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And the Holy Spirit is always talking to us, but we have to give him our ear. We have to let him talk to us, and we have to learn to communicate with him. So I took my time in my automobile, rather than just, you know, talk on my cell phone or listen to music. When I'm in my automobile and I start the engine, I always say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, talk to me today. We're in this automobile together. Holy Spirit, give me some information. Show me things to come. Show me what you want me to know. I want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I want to see, I want to have revelation. And the Holy Spirit will come and will reveal things to you. Now, my husband pastored uh, in the 80s in a town that was a college town. And our youth pastor was going to have a college event. 
And he had rented this big athletic field on that campus, and he was going to have music there, and the hope is that a lot of college kids would come, and we would win them to the Lord. Now, uh, he, he rented this. It was right on the corner. We passed it every day. He said to our church congregation, when you go past this field, wave your hand over it and ask God to bless it to send students to that field. And so we did. We prayed over it. We interceded. One day, I go by that field, and I said to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, bless this meeting. And when I said that, I had a vision. Now, it was not a picture, but I saw this inwardly. I saw that field, and I saw our praise band, I saw our, our little group of youth inside that, that area where the, the platform was. But around this field was this high, high fence. It was a chain-link fence, and it reached upward into the sky. And I saw all of these college kids walking toward that field, and when they would get close, they would hit that chain-link fence, and they would back away, and then they'd walk around it, and they couldn't find a door. And they were just sort of circling the field and hitting the fence, and nobody could get in. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And the Holy Spirit said, the enemy is setting up traps, diversions, hindrances, obstacles to keep those students from coming to that field. And you are to tell people this, and through prayer you are to pull down that fence so that they can go to that field and receive Jesus as Lord. Now, it's much better to have that information before the meeting than to have the meeting and wondered why nobody showed up. See, the Holy Spirit will make us smart. The Holy Spirit knows what is going on. I had a friend who ministers around the New York City area. She told me that on the day of 9-11, that there were 117 people who worked in the World Trade Centers, and they were all in this, this church where she ministered there quite regularly. On the day of 9-11, before the airplanes ever hit the towers, 110 of the 117 got out of bed that morning and heard the Holy Spirit say, don't go to work. 110 Christians called in and said, I'm not coming to work. The other seven went to work and got out alive. Now that's smart to tune in to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit talks to you. You need an ear to hear. And then John the Revelator was taken up into heaven. And when he got to heaven in chapter 4, he said, I saw a throne and it was set. And there was one who was seated upon the throne. And this word set means, you know, something hard, set in concrete. Now, John is about to be shown these events in, in earth. And we, we read in the Revelation, there will be nuclear war. There will be an earthquake. And the Bible says every island and every mountain will move. Uh, water will become so polluted that major water systems of the world will be undrinkable. 
Uh, the, the climate is going to change. Uh, people will not be able to buy and sell without the mark of the political leader. Uh, there's going to be severe persecution of Christians, and Christians would be beheaded. I mean, it is just a picture of devils and hell and the earth shaking. But John saw this throne that was set in heaven. And what this teaches us is that the, the word of God, the throne of God, the promises of God are not affected by what goes on down here in the earth. If God has given you a word, you can take it to the bank. It is true. It will happen. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But you can look through the problem and say, my Sunday is coming because God does not lie to me. God tells me the truth. And John saw that throne and it was set in heaven. And then John said, he heard a voice saying, uh, who is worthy to open the books? And the books represented the unleashing of these things that were going to happen on the earth. And there was only one in heaven who could do it, and the book was put in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's a picture of things being in God's hands. And we need to understand today, if we belong to God, our lives do not belong to the devil. Our lives do not belong to people. Our lives are in God's hands. And God can do great and mighty things for us if we just stay focused. If we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. If we, if we realize that the word of God is set and we don't move from it. We do not vary from it. What God tells us is true and it will come to pass. We focus on that. And then God holds things in his hands. Our lives are not in anyone's hands but God's hands. And no one has control over us except God himself. Now that is good news. And if we know that, there is no reason to be discouraged because God in all of this is working his plan. We just have to stay focused that there's more going on for us tonight than there is going on against us. There are more fighting for us tonight than are, are fighting against us. We serve a good God, a big God. And we need to be encouraged. I want you to resist discouragement because discouragement makes you weary. It, it robs you of what God has. I, I think it was about three or four years ago, I just got discouraged. I don't know why I got discouraged. I just got discouraged. I, I just became tired of doing this. And uh, I would, you know, come and do this and then I'd go home and think, well, you know, spent a lot of time, spent a lot of energy, don't know anything was accomplished, and just kind of talked myself into just a black mood of discouragement. And, uh, you know, I didn't say a lot to people about it, but just discouraged. Uh, just sort of lost my joy, lost my focus. And I began to think, well, it'd probably be better for me just to stay home. Uh, you know, God can do things without me. Just be better for me to stay home. Just became weary in, in well-doing. 
I was in a hotel room in a city like this by myself. It was on a Saturday night. And I was just laying there thinking, well, wish I was home. Not sure anything's going to be accomplished tomorrow in the church I'm going to be in. Just, you know, this black, black, black mood I was in. And they showed a, a clip about a baseball player. And I don't know, he was famous. He didn't mean anything to me, but he was famous. He died. He died young. He died in a hotel room. And a maid found him. And I lay there and thought, well, that's how I'll die. I'll be in some God-forsaken city all by myself on a Saturday night. Some old maid will come in the next morning and find me dead in bed, you know, and then they'll have to figure out how to ship my body back to Georgia. So I called my husband about 11.30, and I said, I, I need some prayer. He said, what do you need prayer about? I said, how about praying for me I don't die in a hotel room and be found by me? He said, turn off the TV and go pray for a while. And sometimes we do need to turn off that internal TV and pray because God is doing something and a very good work. So I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. Anybody here that is discouraged, just kind of wave your hand at me. Just discouraged. Just discouraged. Lord, you see these hands. I thank you, Lord, that you're doing your good, good work, that you are doing something, Lord, and joy is going to be set before us. Even though our fig trees don't bloom and the cattle's not in the stall, joy is going to be set before us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father. And my brother right, right here, could I pray for you right here in the back? Uh, this, could I pray for you? Would you mind coming here and letting me pray for you? I, I, I saw you on your course, and everywhere uh, you ran, I, I saw heaps of, like, rubbish or something. And you were kind of having to jump over it and kind of crawl over it. And then right here would be a pothole, and you'd have to go around it. And I just saw things that just kind of depleted your energy just took your efforts and took your time. And the Lord said to tell you in this next year that that crooked path is going to be made very straight for you and that that rough place is going to be very smooth because the Lord is going to do a work of deliverance and the Lord is going to do a work of change. And you're going to find your circumstances change. And you're going to see that even that which the enemy has stolen is going to be returned to you and it will be returned in a measure greater than it was even taken away from you. Because you're on a course, the Lord has his hand on you and the Lord wants you to stay focused that he's working it out for you. You just keep pressing, running. You just keep doing what you know to do. And in just a few short days, things are going to become very easy, saith the Lord God Almighty. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father. Now let's stand to our feet. Now I want you to lay hands on yourselves. I want you to say this with me. Father, I thank you tonight that I am your child, Jesus is my Lord, and his power is in me. And I thank you, Lord, that joy is set before me. I'm going to get focused. I'm not going to look at the problem. I'm going to look at the praise. I'm going to look at the solution. And even though it's Friday... 
I know Sunday's coming. And through joy, I'm going to endure. Help me, Lord. Help me. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a strength coming into you, my sister. And it is the strength of the Lord. And you're going to find strength like you've never had it before. A strength to pray. A strength to see. A strength to do. There are things that have held you in bondage you haven't been able to free yourself from. And a strength is coming. And God said to stay focused. That strength is being poured into you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, everyone, put your hand on your ears. Father, I want the Holy Spirit to talk to this congregation. I want you to talk to every man, every woman, every child. We want the voice of the Holy Spirit. We want to hear what he is saying to us. There are people here in confusion, and the Holy Spirit is going to talk to you. There are people here who really do need a revelation of something. And the Holy Spirit is going to talk to you. The Holy Spirit is going to show you what to do. The Holy Spirit is going to give you words of knowledge. There is knowledge coming to you, my brother. Knowledge from the Holy Spirit. Wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Divine direction. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, for just keeping us true to the course by the joy that is set before us in Jesus' name. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for this honor. You're a good group, and God will do great things for you. Pastor. Amen. Everybody said amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And I would say let's receive the word of the Lord tonight. Amen. Let's receive.